0: that you would help us apply your word this morning. Amen. Amen. Good morning. My name is Dave Farley. I'm one of the pastors here at GCF. A special thanks to all of our 11 a.m. service people. You took up your crosses this morning, and you made it. Uh, let, me, let me briefly explain the teaching schedule for the next several months. Um, Uh, We're taking a break from John this morning, and that's because we ended John 16 last week. It was a great stopping place. I'm going to preach on Proverbs this morning. Then we're going to spend 10 weeks this summer in the Psalms, the Psalm 20s. Then this fall, I'm going to do a topical series uh, called Restoring Sexual Sanity. And we'll talk in that series about marriage, what it means to be masculine, what it means to be feminine, homosexuality, transgenderism, and several other non-controversial topics. (laughs) So come back this fall, uh, six to eight weeks, on those really, really important subjects that our culture is so confused about right now. And if you think about it, pray uh, that God would bless that series this fall. With that in mind, let me pray uh, and ask for God's blessing as we look at the Proverbs this morning. Father, we are so thankful for giving us so many reasons to sing this morning. Father, we're so thankful for the book of Proverbs that gives us so much wisdom for life. Father, we pray that as we contemplate these Proverbs this morning, that you would give us receptive hearts and minds. Lord, help us to submit ourselves to sacred scripture. Father, I pray that all the things I say this morning would serve to edify these people uh, and to glorify your great and glorious name. Help us, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I want you to consider a few recent and not so recent marketing slogans. McDonald's from the 80s, their slogan was, anyone know? From the 80s. The 90s. You deserve a break today. How about Sprite? What's their slogan? I heard it. Obey your thirst. How about Overstock.com? It's all about you. How about Botox Cosmetics? Hopefully no one knows that slogan. Anyone know? You're afraid to say? I did it for me. How about SDCU where I bank? What's their slogan? Anyone know? My money... My life. (laughs) Burger King, have it whose way? Your way. What do all these slogans have in common? These marketers are actually very, very brilliant. They know that self is king. Self reigns supreme. It's all about me, myself, and I. Elsa from Frozen captures this mentality or worldview very, very well when she sings It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go. Commenting on these lyrics, Rankin Wilborn writes these perceptive words Princess Elsa from the film Frozen has captured the modern secular mindset perfectly. Autonomy, authenticity, individuality, freedom. If the dominant mindset we are living under today could be summed up, it would coalesce around these themes. David Brooks labels it the big me. Philosopher Charles Taylor calls it the culture of authenticity. Alternately, named the I-world, expressive individualism, or the age of the selfie, this mindset assumes we each have a true, authentic self hidden within us, and the path to human flourishing involves discovering and expressing that true self. We must be free from any external authority, Or expectations that might constrain who we really are, because, as Kanye West recently put it, I'm nothing if I can't be me. Our culture loves self, self is the judge, the jury. And the prosecutor of all things. No one can tell Almighty Self what to do. If Self wants to identify as a male or a female or a turtle or a horse, who are you to say that Self is wrong? This mentality of Self is old fashioned pride. And the book of Proverbs addresses this issue of pride in great detail. But why should we pay attention? when it comes to the subject of pride. Because the Bible's clear that pride is the root of all sin. And the Bible says that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Furthermore, pride destroys every aspect of our lives. So you owe it to yourself this morning, to yourself, self, to consider the great sin of pride this morning and the glorious realities of humility. With that in mind, let's turn our attention to what Proverbs has to say about pride. We'll look at three things this morning. The marks of pride, the misery of pride, and the murder of pride. So first, the marks of pride. What are the marks of pride in the book of Proverbs? In other words, what does the proud person look like? Proverbs describes the proud person in great detail. Uh, Consider Proverbs 21.4. Solomon writes haughty eyes and a proud heart the lamp of the wicked are sin the word haughty in this text literally means elevation the idea is that the proud person is looking down on everyone else from their high and lofty perch or proverbs 30:13 there are those how lofty are their eyes and how high their eyelids lift In light of this, one scholar writes these words. Six different Hebrew words are used for pride. All of them convey lifting up, highness, magnification, presumptuousness, or rebelliousness of self. Proud people have a very, very high opinion of themselves, their gifts, their abilities, and their achievements. And they're always looking down on others around them. Proverbs 21, 24 Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. The proud person scoffs at others all the time because they think they're so much better than everyone else. And deep down inside, if we're honest, we have to admit that often we think that we're better than all those idiots around us who are driving so slow. This morning, I'm driving to church, and the person in front of me is going 30 to 45. And I thought to myself, I'm not going to say what I thought to myself. It was not a humble thought. One author says this. In 2006, thousands of American college students filled out a survey. They weren't told what it was, but it was actually the Narcissistic Personality Inventory, NPI, a psychological evaluation that asked for responses to statements such as, I'm an extraordinary person. I'm more capable than other people. Everybody likes to hear my stories. And if I ruled the world, it would be a better place. The MPI has been given to college students for several decades. By looking at the change in responses over time, a recent study shows a 30% increase in narcissism over the last 30 years. Even more striking, in the 1950s, 12% of teens agreed with the statement, I'm an important person. In the 1980s, just 30 years later, later, 80% of teens agreed with that same statement. By our own reckoning, we live in an increasingly self-centered, narcissistic world. And part of that is the, the whole cult and myth of self-esteem. Now, let me discuss that just for a moment. Christians should have a positive self-image based on the fact that they're made in God's image. Not because they're amazingly gifted, wonderful people, but because they're made in God's image. Self-esteem encourages us to look at ourselves and love ourselves and worship ourselves. That is pride in the Bible. Just to be clear, Proverbs 25, 6, and 7. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. For it's better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. The proud person loves to constantly put himself or herself forward. And they want everyone to see how wonderful and amazing they are. We always want to be thought of as the experts on everything that we're talking about, don't we? Proverbs 25, 27 says this, It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. And if we're honest, many of us are glory thieves. We're constantly looking for ways to steal glory from God and give glory to ourselves. In addition to these Proverbs, there are numerous Proverbs that describe the humble person as someone who is constantly seeking advice from others, looking for input. They're teachable, they're correctable, and they love to serve others. Their focus is on other people and not themselves. By implication, the proud person does not think that he or she needs the help of anyone or anything. He is a self-sufficient, self-made man. In light of these Proverbs, one scholar defines pride this way. This is a very, very helpful definition of pride from Proverbs. Pride is the mindset of of self that's pretty much it isn't it I think about <laughs> self magazine the whole magazine is about self pride is the mindset of self a master's mindset rather than that of a servant a focus on self and the service of self, a pursuit of self-recognition and self-exaltation and a desire to control and use all things for self. And make no mistake, this describes all of us. If you don't think you're proud, you're really proud. (laughs) Pride has a way of blinding us. If you think you're really proud, you're probably growing in humility. Consider this. In a survey by U.S. News and World Report, Americans were asked who they thought was most likely to go to heaven. 65% thought Oprah Winfrey and Michael Jordan were very likely to go to heaven. They obviously haven't seen The Last Dance, which is the biography of Michael Jordan. 79% believed Mother Teresa would go to heaven. There was only one person who scored higher than Mother Teresa and Michael Jordan. You guessed it, the respondent. Over 80% taking the survey felt they were very likely to go to heaven because deep down inside, they all thought they were better than Mother Teresa, Oprah, and Michael Jordan. And that's all of us. So, we've looked at the marks of pride. Let's dig a little deeper. And let me ask this question. How does pride typically manifest itself or show up in our lives on a regular basis. Here's a list compiled by author Stuart Scott. A proud person is constantly complaining. They complain about everything. The slow driver in front of them, the weather, the boss, their spouse, their kids, their income, they're always complaining because they think that they deserve better. Why? They're proud. By the way, thanksgiving is the language of heaven. Complaining is the language of hell. If you think about the history of Israel, why were they judged over and over and over again? Why? Because they kept complaining in the wilderness about their circumstances. Anger. A person is often angry or moody because my rights My desires have been thwarted. Someone's not meeting my needs. Impatience and irritability are also manifestations of pride for the same reason. Or seeing yourself as better than others. Sneering at the overweight person. Mocking the poor, clumsy, or unathletic person. (laughs) Again, ridiculing that idiot driving in front of me. Overall, very little tolerance for the foibles of others. That's pride. Having an inflated view of your importance and gifts. Think about American Idol. (laughs) That show is filled with people who think they are God's gift to music, and they're told by Simon, you're awful. And they're like, what? And everyone knows they're awful but themselves. Talking too much. Oof. This one's convicting. Have you ever talked to someone who basically talks at you? They don't listen. They just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk at you. Why? Because what they have to say is way more than what you have to say. A humble person asks lots of questions and listens. If you talk too much, it's probably because you're proud. How about seeking independence or control? You can't work under other people. You will not submit to your boss or your parents. Children, if you want God's blessing, humble yourselves. When your parents say to you, little Johnny or Susie, stop doing that. Say, yes, mom. Yes, dad. Instead of thinking of 15 ways why you're right and your parents are wrong. Humble yourself, be teachable, be correctable. How about this one? A proud person is consumed with what other people think. They're constantly trying to earn the favor or approval of others through all kinds of means, achievements, wealth, uh, saying funny things, um, not saying certain things. They're always thinking, what are other people thinking about me? Are they currently worshiping me right now? And do they think I'm amazing? And when they don't, we often get depressed and discouraged. That's fear of man, and that's rooted in pride. A humble person is so other-centered, they don't care what other people think about them. They're constantly looking for ways to build up and encourage and edify others. How about being unteachable? Proverbs 13:1. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Again, kids, are you listening to your parents' rebuke and responding humbly? How about being sarcastic, hurtful, or degrading? Belittling others to make yourself look good. Proverbs 12, 8. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. How about a lack of service in general? Oh, this one's convicting. A humble person is constantly looking for ways to serve others. But proud people are always serving who? Self. Looking out for their own needs, trying to keep the talent happy. Being defensive, blame shifting, never asking for forgiveness, a lack of prayer. If you don't pray very much, it's because you're proud. We just sang this morning, Lord, I need you, I need you, I need you. A humble person understands they need God for every second of their day. Therefore, humble people pray often. Proud people never pray because they don't sense their need. How about not having close relationships? I don't need anyone or anything. I can figure it out on my own. I don't need anyone else's counsel or advice. Now, these are just some of the marks of pride But why should anyone forsake pride? Why does this matter? That brings us to the next subject, and that is the misery of pride. First, the marks of pride. Second, the misery of pride. Pride makes our lives miserable. When the Titanic was launched, it was the largest and most luxurious ship ever built. Its owners boasted that God himself could not sink this ship. Yet on her maiden voyage in 1912, she struck an iceberg in the North Atlantic in the greatest maritime disaster in history, and over 1,500 people lost their lives. The owners of the ship were overly confident. They were proud, and therefore, they did not heed critique. They did not heed the warnings. They thought they had it figured out. As a result, 1,500 people lost their lives. Pride leads to misery, Proverbs 11:2. 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 15, 25, the Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. The last thing you want is for God to tear down your house because of your pride. Proverbs 16, eight, 18 to 19, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Proverbs 18, 12. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. One more, Proverbs twenty six twelve. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes, a man who's proud? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Pride always, always, always leads to misery and pain and destruction. If you want to be happy, humble yourself. Forsake pride. Adam's pride plunged the whole world into sin. King Uzziah's pride resulted in leprosy. Nebuchadnezzar's pride caused him to literally go crazy and to crawl around on all fours out in the wilderness. King Saul's pride caused him to lose his crown. King David's pride caused him to commit adultery and murder. Ananias and Sapphira's pride caused sudden death. Remember that story in Acts 5? Herod's pride ended in death as well. Listen to this incredibly sobering story. Acts 12, 21 to 23. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. Immediately, the angel of the Lord struck him down, killed him on the spot, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Why? Because he was proud. Because he was proud. Pride always leads to misery, because pride destroys every single thing it touches. One historian writes this incredible story. The great Rocky Mountain locust swarms of the 1870s were a massive sight to behold. The insects descended by the trillions on the Great Plains, spreading over a vast portion of land from Montana across to Minnesota and down to Texas. Ravaging farmland, the locusts devoured not only crops, but not on nearly any organic material, including sawdust, leather, and the very clothes on people's backs. Swarming in numbers perhaps unseen in history, they brought staggering economic ruin to rural communities, and in extreme cases, even death. The weight of the insects in this swarm was estimated to be over 27 million tons of locust. The reach of the locusts knew no bounds. They infiltrated every nook, and residents even had to pat down their bedding before retiring. They beat against the houses, swarm in at the windows, cover the passing trains, wrote a New York Times correspondent. They work as if sent to destroy. These locusts destroyed literally everything in their path. Everything. Nothing was off limits. In a similar sense, pride destroys everything in our lives. It'll destroy your marriage, destroy your relationships, destroy your career, destroy your family. Pride is the great sin, and it leads to carnage, and everything it touches is ruined. It's like a cancer. Most importantly, pride will make you the object of God's righteous anger. Proverbs sixteen five. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. That's all of us, my friends, before conversion. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. So is there hope for us? Is there hope for us proud, arrogant people? Yes, There is, there's tremendous hope, which brings us to the third and final point. So first is the marks of pride, second, the misery of pride, and third, the murder of pride. How do you and I find ways to murder pride in our own lives? How do we put pride to death? How do we kill pride in us? Well, the answer is simple, by looking at the cross. The cross does several things for us, like what? The cross humbles us. Consider the words of 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 and following. The Apostle Paul writes this. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 22. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written, let those who boast, boast in the Lord. In these verses we learn the message of the cross is utter folly to the world. The world hates the cross. Why? Because the cross tells us that our sins were so bad. So grievous that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, had to be murdered for us to be forgiven. That's how bad our predicament was. We weren't just damaged or hurt or wounded, we were in deep trouble. We were objects of God's righteous wrath. And we could not save ourselves or find a way to forgive ourselves. Jesus had to suffer and die on a cross for us to be forgiven. That's how bad. Our pride is. Not very flattering, is it? Furthermore, the cross destroys all of our boasting. How? It implies that even our best deeds are not good enough to save us. You and I could read the Bible three hours a day, fast twice a month, go to church three or four times a week, serve with everything we have, give all of our money away, and that's not enough for us to be saved. We can never ever do enough good things. Even our best deeds are tainted by sin. We can't save ourselves. We cannot be good enough. Jesus had to come to earth, live a perfect life on our behalf, die on the cross, and rise from the grave for us to be saved. The cross humbles us, doesn't it? Furthermore, we learn in these verses that God did not choose us because we were wise, smart, righteous, or super spiritual. Paul says that God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose foolish people to be on his team to shame the wise of this world. That's us, my friends. The cross is specifically designed to humble us, and it does. In light of that, we can't study the cross and be defensive at the same time. We can't study the cross and be critical of others at the same time. We can't study the cross and have a high view of ourselves at the same time. And we can't study the cross and blame shift at the same time. When the cross moves to the center of our lives, we increasingly grow in humility, which means that we grow in joy and happiness and peace. The cross humbles us, but that's not all. The cross also forgives us. Yes, it humbles us, but the cross forgives us. Jesus was the humblest person to ever live. He built his life on the scriptures. He mastered all these proverbs on humility and pride. He was humble, always humble, always did the humble thing, always used humble words, always served others. Think about this. As a human, he sought the advice of others. Fully God and fully man, in his humanity, he obeyed the proverbs that talk about the importance of seeking counsel from others. He did that in his humanity, he was humble perfectly humble, and he was earning for you and I a perfect record of humility. Now when God the Father sees us, even though we are proud every day of our lives, we are clothed in the perfect robes of Christ's humble righteousness. So right now, if you're a Christian, he sees you as humble as Jesus. Therefore, you will never ever experience the wrath of God. Proverbs 16.5 again says this, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. On the cross, Jesus was an abomination. He took us off the cross, put himself on the cross, and in that moment, on the cross, bearing our wrath, he was an abomination to God the Father so we would never ever be We can go unpunished because Christ was punished on our behalf. The cross humbles us. The cross forgives us. And furthermore, the cross criticizes us. Now, this is actually really helpful. What does the cross say about us? Again, the cross says that we are very wicked and sinful. At the same time, the cross tells us that we are incredibly loved and accepted and forgiven. No one can criticize you or me like the cross criticizes us. No one. No one. If that's true, bring on the criticism. We should not be afraid of criticism in light of the cross. No one can say what the cross has already said about us. So if that's true, we should not be afraid of criticism. Christ has already criticized us in the cross, and he's also told us that we are loved and accepted. Therefore, we should receive and want and ask for criticism, ask for input, ask for feedback, because the cross has already criticized us, and no one can criticize us like the cross. Yet the cross tells us that we're loved and accepted. Furthermore, the cross enables us. Because of the cross, the power of sin has been broken in you, and you are now indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says often that we are called to humble ourselves. That's something that we must do. We must seek input, serve others, shut our mouths, listen to others. And we can do that because Christ died for us, breaking the power of sin in us and and filling us with the Spirit. We have everything we need to humble ourselves. So this week, look for opportunities to humble yourself, to receive correction, to serve others, to ask for advice. God has given us everything we need. The cross enables us to humble ourselves. Furthermore, the cross motivates us. Matthew 28, 26 to 20, I'm sorry, Matthew 20, 26 to 28. Jesus says, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive us, but he also died on the cross in our place, setting us an example of how we're supposed to live our lives. We're supposed to follow his example of humble cross-bearing and service. And again, he's given us everything we need to do that. We just have to ask him for help. Rely on his grace and strength. The cross motivates us to humble ourselves and serve others. If the cross was not below Jesus, then nothing is below us as his followers. No act of service is too humble or too lowly for us as Christians because we're following Jesus who was crucified on the cross, the ultimate act of humility. No service is too dirty, grimy, or humbling for Christians. So how do we murder pride? How do we put it to death? By asking God for grace to humble ourselves. By crying out to him, saying, God help me this week to humble myself. As we gaze at the cross, he'll give us that grace and strength. We examine the marks of pride, The misery of pride and the murder of pride. Vince Lombardi famously said, coach for the Green Bay Packers, winning is not the only thing, it's everything. In one real sense, Christians can say, humility is not the only thing, it's everything. It is the chief virtue. Of the Christian life, all the virtue flows out of this virtue. If you want to grow in godliness, ask God to help you be humble. And because humility is everything, Proverbs 22:4 can utter these remarkable words. Consider this for a moment. The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Who wants riches and honor and life? Is it just me? Come on, be honest. If you're not raising your hand, you're lying, okay? You're not being very humble right now, okay? Solomon says, if you want riches and honor and life, what are you supposed to do? Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Humble Humble people are happy people. Humble people are the people that God blesses. Let's pray together.